listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from Megawind Keelguard Studios. Aaron, do you feel it? I mean, I, I know you feel it because there is love in the air and it is the Valentine's Day episode of Bass Edge Radio. It the is. Feb 15. Yes, 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 yeah. Feb 15 edition. I call it the Valentine's edition because we're taping on the 14th, so. It makes sense, right? Exactly. Well, it certainly makes sense, and um, you know the. I, I always like this this episode and this the Valentine's Day because it actually matches the colors of MegaWare. You know, if yes. nothing else, it, you could you could stock up on and 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 ask for that for Valentine's Day, Kurt. So um, there you go. But yes, yeah, as, as mentioned, as we always mention, three hundred ninety four times, uh, all things Bass Edge are brought to us by our great friends at MegaWare Keel Guard. Be sure to visit the first do it yourself keel protector inventor, uh, and that comes right out of MegaWare Keel Guard. Visit them at keelguard.com. So, Kurt, got a trivia question for you. What is the sea foam? top five of the week see if you know what that is yeah yeah well you know i love to keep up with all things bass blaster so i know the answer to this jake kumar man do what a great job if you don't have time maybe to read in the entire newsletter every time he sends it up which usually pops out about what aaron about three times a week yeah yeah right into your inbox well well, now he's got a great segment the seafoam top five of the week so he's doing a little video i think he's done this about 30 sometimes now mid 30s maybe 34 35 times but uh top five of the week man it's it's uh it's fun to watch jay always does a great job be sure to tune in to bass blaster at bassblaster.com is the email you want to send to get on to jay's newsletter so uh yeah man that's what's new did i answer your question you absolutely did answer the question and i'm excited you know (laughs) Not only as far as what's new for Jay, but also what's new on this episode. Just so excited when you sent me the text and said, hey, this is what we've got on deck and in the hold for interviews. I'm like, wow, man, this is good stuff right here. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun setting these up, man. A lot of great feedback from the last episode, 393, with that great interview with Kenta Kimura. Man, that was uh, groundbreaking for me anyway. I really enjoyed it. Love talking to him, hearing about those techniques. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back. Feb 1 episode 393, feature angler Kenta Kimura. But today's feature angler and today's show, let's start off right now talking about the showcase segment, Aaron. Yes, the showcase segment. We are going to talk to some old friends, an old friend, and about some old friends, about some old stories. So uh, y'all stay tuned. We're going to move on into the next segment here of Bass Edge, the showcase segment. Talk about a new podcast you definitely want to take interest in. Hang tight. We're going to be right back with more Bass Edge Radio. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. 
Aaron, I think it's important to let our listeners know, of course, they're podcasters. That's why they're listening to the show. And there is a new podcast in town I felt like we need to make our listeners aware of. Both hosts of the Big Bass Podcast, Ken Duke and Terry Battisti, they've been longtime friends of mine and uh, just a big part of the industry in general. And, and this particular guy on the episode with us today happens to be an absolute bass fishing genius. So happy to have him on the show. Been long overdue. Welcome, Mr. Ken Duke. Ken Awesome to have you here on Bass Edge, my friend. Guys, it's awesome to be on the show. I understand this is like episode 394, and <laughs> and I know it took a while to get to me. I get it. I, I see where I rank, but it's a thrill to be on Bass Edge. I love what you guys do. I love the interviews. I love the interaction. And, uh, you know, now that I'm in the podcasting business with you, uh, you guys are, are not just friends having me on the show, but you guys are our mentors as well. <laughs> That's pretty strong words there to live up to when you say mentors, using that for Kurt and I amongst yourself. But uh, yeah, I do want to back up in something that you said, because it has taken forever to have you on the show. And, and you know, that's all Kurt's <laughs> fault. That is all Kurt's fault. I'll just, I'll just throw him under the bus right now. I sense that immediately. And, uh, and I realize you have been probably dying to get me on the show for a long, long time. And, and I appreciate it. But Kurt is, as usual, an obstacle of sorts, and we have to work around him. That's right. Well, you know, that's all right, right, guys. As we talked in ramping up for this episode, this is the Valentine's gift to Ken. <laughs> oh, that's that's <laughs> fantastic. To, to Bass Edge Nation, really. To Bass Edge Nation. Yes, yes. So, With love. With that's love. right. Well, well Ken, as you can tell, we love to have fun. And, and you know, before we dive off into kind of all things uh, Big Bass Podcast, I, I, I really want to make sure, because certainly Kurt and I know your legend in the sport, uh, just your influence of how it has rippled throughout kind of the entire industry. But would like, if you would, just to hit some of those highlights and kind of run down the path that really led you now to the production of the Big Bass Podcast. Aaron, I've noticed the older I get, the more people will use the word legend or icon or fossil <laughs> to describe me. Well, that's better and than I, my daughter using daunting. irrelevant. So, I mean, that's what she calls me. <laughs> yeah, ooh, that's not good. That would not be good. But, you know, I've, I've always been fascinated by bass fishing. I, As a kid, I caught my first bass when I was five years old. Uh, when I was in school, that's all I wanted to think about. And, and if there was an assignment in English class, I was writing about bass fishing. And uh, I think I saw my first Bassmaster magazine when I was about 13 or 14 years old. I joined Bass when I was 14. I wrote my first article for a national magazine and got it published when I was uh, 19. And while other kids are kind of putting themselves through school or whatever by flipping burgers and things, I was writing magazine articles and uh, and having a great time doing it and, and learning more about the sport and really getting caught up with it. Then when I was uh, a young guy in my early 20s, I, I made some mistakes I'm not proud of. I went to law school and uh, <laughs> then I practiced law for about 10 years and said, you know, this is not for me. I have got to get out of this before it kills me and wears me down. Don't you find and it I, interesting? I they always call it practicing law also. I mean, that yes, there's well, that's well, the way I was doing it, I was always practicing. I can tell you that. Some may have perfected it, but that wouldn't have been me. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the law is uh, the, the law doesn't allow a lot of time for other things, especially if you're a young attorney trying to learn the ropes. And um, I, I hated every minute of it. And uh, I realized I was not going to be able to drag myself into an office in a suit and tie every day forever. So I got to find another path. And I thought, I'm going to make my hobby into a career. And I started reaching back to some of the contacts I'd built in the sport in the publishing part of it. 
it, and I wound up getting a job as an editor with the Game and Fish magazines in Georgia, and uh, was there for a few years, and then took a job with BASS, and was there a long time. I was senior editor of publications for BASS with responsibilities toward the magazines and, and, and a lot toward the web. And for the last nine years, I've been the editor of Fishing Tackle Retailer Magazine, and I've really enjoyed that position. And it, it's given me a, a real perspective on on the industry, the fishing industry generally, and of course, bass fishing in particular, which has always been my passion. It's given me, I think, a broader and, and more interesting perspective on our sport than most people in the media get. And then, of course, you get to hang out with guys like Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove, and it just doesn't get better than that. <laughs> I bad for you. But that is – Ken, that, that's outstanding. How many years were you with Bass? I was only with Bass for about 10 years. Only um, 10. That's a, that's a decade, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it was a great experience. And I, I, for the most part, I really enjoyed my job. There are certainly aspects of it that, that were not so much fun. And, and you know, sure. at the end of the day, a job is a job. A job is work. Absolutely. A job is responsibility. And so uh, sometimes it's hard to see the fun in it. But I, I enjoyed my time at Bass. I, I learned a lot. I got to meet a lot of great people. And then I went to work at Fishing Tackle Retailer in, in 2014. Right. And what I learned was there's a whole other side to this industry that I didn't know more of the manufacturing end, the retailing end, the wholesaling end, the product development stuff. It's been eye opening. And I feel like my perspective is so much broader than it was when I was at BASS and, and BASS was an eye opening experience after game and fish. So every aspect of my career, I feel like I've gained something and and picked up some skills or uh, added to that perspective. And it's been really terrific. Yeah, it's exciting to have you on the show because of your diversity of background and where all that comes from. I've always been amazed at your fishing knowledge, man. You're so witty and able to recollect so many historical moments in the sport of bass fishing, uh, particularly obviously in the tournament world. But man, after listening to the Big Bass podcast over the last several days, I'm newly enlightened and enriched in the conversations of history and lore that you guys bring up, you and Terry over there. Where do the stories you and Terry discuss originate from? How do you find these interesting facts and information that y'all discuss on the podcast? Oh, I love that question because, you know, in my career in the outdoors world, you know, it's largely been a writer, but I've also hosted a radio show and I've done a little bit of television things and uh, and, and worked in different aspects of the media. And uh, you kind of get pigeonholed. I think for a long time, Basically, all I did was write how-to stories. You know, then I would say, you know, this is this is not that interesting, and everybody's doing it. So I was I was trying to tell different stories about the tournament trail, and so I tried to bring conventional statistics into it. And then you get sort of labeled as, oh, you're the stat guy. I mean, I've even had bass pros say, oh, you're the stat guy. I said, well, okay, sometimes. Then I got in a position where I could control some of the content, and I said, you know, I'm going to bring in some history because I love the history, and I always have. And I guess the history, Kurt, came from my passion for reading everything I could get my hands on mm-hmm. about bass fishing. You know, when I was a kid, if somebody told you, oh, I read everything out there about bass fishing, they could mean it and they could be honest because there were some magazines, occasionally something would pop up in the newspaper, but it was a very finite world of bass fishing content out there. There just wasn't all that much. Today, with the internet, with podcasts and things like that, it's just impossible mm-hmm. to to stay on top of everything. But but it's my passion to get a hold of everything, even old stuff like James Henshaw's books from the 1880s. 
And and you'd read about these things, the history of our sport, and these stories about a big fish would pop up. Like one of our first episodes on the Big Bass podcast was about a guy named H.W. Ross who caught a 23-pound, 8-ounce largemouth bass, allegedly, uh, in 1884. Mm. And, you know, you don't even think about people bass fishing <laughs> right. in 1884. Yeah, I mean, absolutely not. Yeah, the Civil War had only been over for 19 years at that point. So, uh, but But then you find out about it, and then you try to do a, a deeper dive. And and thanks to the great technology of modern times, I can go in and look at old newspapers. I can track down maybe other books. I can find a lot of other resources. And I, I guess I got to credit my my legal background for that because the one thing yeah. they really teach you how to do in law school is to dig and do research and have an absolute high tolerance for boredom. And uh, that's kind of helped <laughs> me too. <laughs> that's great. Well, well, thankfully, you go through the boredom to bring us – all the goods because that that's oh, really yeah, what you away get all the boring yes, stuff. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's so great. And of course, and, and, and sadly, you know, Terry's background is he's a PhD chemical engineer. And I, I don't know exactly what it takes to become a PhD chemical engineer, but <laughs> uh, Dr. Batisi has an, well, yeah, I don't have it. Um, <laughs> he has an infinite capacity for tedium like me. And so together we're kind of a dangerous combination. Wow. Well, uh, Ken, one thing I will tell you is Kurt and I are way out over our skis than talking to you and Terry because our degrees, yeah, not like that whatsoever. But um, no, you guys are super smart. I, I will not, I will not have you put yourselves down because uh, you guys are super bright. And uh, you know, Aaron, I don't know as much about your background, but I know Kurt has got uh, significant DC experience and lobbying and things like that. Things that I could never. I could never, ever do. And you guys do a great job on Bass Edge. You guys have serious skills. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, speaking kind of of the media and some of your background and then the incubation, I guess, of, of Bass Edge, it seems, Ken, and, and I'm going I'm to say this so I don't get 47, you know, direct messages. A lot of the <laughs> the, the podcasts and, and media realm seems to have kind of morphed into this vanity, dramatic, right, recent happenings of the sport. And honestly, you know, with what you and Terry are doing there at the, at the Big Bass Podcast, it's, it's actually very, very refreshing with the story concept. You know, I, I would also throw out, I, I think that people listening to it, whether it's anglers or, or just, just listeners, you can gain a skill of, of learning from you guys of actually how to tell a story or how to perhaps uh, present yourself in front of a media perspective. It doesn't even necessarily have to be concerning bass fishing, whether it's a presentation at work or, or what have you. But, you know, I just think some of the episode stories you discuss are just really, really creative. Well, thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate that. That, that means a lot. I think Part of it comes from the fact that Terry and I both got into the sport, you know, where we were actually making some money in the sport by telling stories, by writing stories for, for magazines and so forth. And, and I've long thought that the four most powerful words in the English language are once upon a time. Um, from, a, <laughs> yes, seriously, from a very early age, we are, we are taught, shown, indoctrinated by our parents or by family, by babysitters, whatever it might be, that those four words tell you, hey, listen up. This is going to entertain, enlighten, educate, inspire, whatever. This is where it all starts, once upon a time. And so we try to bring that into the mix a little bit. And and Aaron, to your point about so much of, of podcasting and, and YouTube being vanity stuff, yeah, I, I see some of that. And there was also a, a, a very calculated aspect of the Big Bass podcast. 
in conceiving of it and deciding what we were going to do. And that is that with so many shows out there, taking an approach to the contemporary activities and and, and talking to the, the newsmakers of the day and the moment and the latest tournament winner, I, I just didn't think we could compete in that arena. I didn't think that was our fit. Mm. And that, I also knew that wasn't necessarily our passion. And I didn't want to compete with our friends who are doing that sort of thing and doing it really well. I didn't want to um, try to compete with them for that audience because I figured they'd thrash me, stomp on me, and, and it would be over pretty quickly. <laughs> so I said, well, what can we do that we love? And that's when I thought, you know, nobody's really taking a deep dive into historical big bass and telling that story. What do we love more than big bass, you know? Big bass are fun to talk about. Big bass are fun to catch and uh, <laughs> love love the once upon a time concept, Ken. That might be a, a mantra that uh, the Big Bass podcast takes on it. The Big Bass Podcast, once upon oh, <laughs> You know, it's interesting you mentioned mantra, Kurt, because uh, one of the things we try to do, if, if for anybody who hangs around to the very end of the show, if you watch it on YouTube, you'll see a door slam. If you're listening on, on Apple Podcasts or something, you'll just hear the door slam. But that was something that we put in there because our goal was to tell the story so fully, to tell the story so completely and so honestly and transparently that we slammed the door on it, that nobody else yeah. would dare try Talk to tell about it. it right? because, yeah, we're, we just <laughs> shut the door on us, you know. Like, like yeah. the law days, hitting the gap, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Your Honor, we rest, you know, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> so hey, anybody man, who's curious I, about that quirky thing, that's what that's about. Love it. And uh, we'll all continue to uh, listen for the door slam on, on these great stories. Ken, as I get older, <laughs> man, I forget more than I freaking can remember. I'm going to quiz you real quick. Off the cuff. Oh, no. No, no okay. prep. The uh, 10th Bassmaster Classic. Winner was? 10th Bassmaster Classic would be 1980. Bo Dowden yes, uh, on the yes. St. Lawrence. Yeah, That's Bo Dowden correct. And, on the uh, St. Lawrence. You know, most stomp. people don't know that there was a classic in Alexandria Bay on the St. Lawrence River. Yeah, until the 2014 classic on Gunnersville, believe it or not, that St. Lawrence classic, or they called it Thousand Islands at the time, right. that St. Lawrence classic had the highest average bass weight of any classic until 2014 that was a a big fish deal of course loads and loads of smallmouths up there and so forth but Bo Dowden in a stomp he just whooped up on everybody by about 10 pounds that year he did win by about 10 pounds and the most interesting thing I found is Bo Dowden never won a tournament until like ever in all of his bass fishing career with bass (laughs) or even prior to that it is said that Bo Dowden's first win ever whether it was a five-boat club tournament or whatever the situation, was the Bassmaster Classic. That, that is amazing, isn't it? And, and Bo and his family are still very much involved in the, the real estate world down around Toledo Bend in Manny, Louisiana. You can uh, go on the main drag there through that area and, and find their, their real estate offices. And, and I've done that and got to interview Bo, uh, a great guy, a great storyteller. That is so cool. There's just a, a glimpse into Ken's knowledge, you know, bringing up just one thing and then all of a sudden he still today understands where that person is, what they're doing in their life. And, and that's what's special about Ken Duke. And that's why Everybody needs to tune in to the Big Bass Podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you, Kurt. I appreciate it. And you guys have such a, a great and devoted audience. And uh, if we can leech off you guys and, and pick up a few folks who are interested in Big Bass, I appreciate it so much. Well, Ken, you know, 
one of the things that kind of I, I guess with the industry is, is is you brought it up about pursuing the passion and I think you know when you whether it's catching numbers whether it's catching size a lot of it is just being in the outdoors and and certainly uh, you have presented that in a limelight that like no other and I think to you and Terry both so with that kind of being the theme what is the best way that Bass Edge Nation can can stay up with all things you know not only Ken Duke and and the Bass Fishing podcast and then but also the Bass Fishing Archives, what's the best way for everybody to reach out to you to stay in the loop? Oh, wow. Well, you know, our podcast is available just everywhere. I mean, we're on YouTube. Uh, we've got our website, thebigbasspodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, <laughs> uh, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Audible. But if anybody wanted to reach out to me personally, Aaron, I am at Ken at TheBigBassPodcast.com. I also bought a cool URL years ago. Uh, I'm also at Ken at Mycropterus.com, which, of course, is the Latin genus of the, the black bass family. So uh, I'd love to hear from folks. Love for them to sign up and subscribe to the podcast. That would be a big deal. Absolutely. Ken, thanks so much for taking time to be with us here on Bass Edge Radio today. And y'all stay tuned. We're going to take a break. But next up is the Feature Angler Spotlight. Aaron and I will be right back. I am Bassmaster Elite Series Angler Patrick Walters. This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler Trevor Fitzgerald. This is BASS Elite Series Pro Brandon Polonay. I am MLF Big Five Pro Circuit Angler Graybuck. This is 2020 BASS Angler of the Year Clark Winland. Stay right here for more Bass Edge Radio. Know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. As mentioned in the lead-in to the feature angler spotlight, we got a returning guest on today's episode, but we're tackling a totally different subject than past interviews. Always fun and entertaining. We welcome back MLF Bass Pro Tour angler Fred Boom Boom Rombanis, man. Great to have you return on the show, Fred. Oh, man, it's awesome to be back on the show. Thank you, Kurt. Fred, I guess first question is, how have you been? Kind of give us the, the rundown there, and then... And also just want to kind of give a little shout out to your son Jackson there and curious to see if he spent all of the money that he won in that kayak tournament for Bass Edge Nation. You know, uh, Jackson's a big <laughs> kayak fisherman, but did uh, you, Julian Avery, receive that big gift from Jackson? I'll tell you, Aaron, this is like the coolest thing as a dad is to watch your kid grow up and want to do what you're doing and then go out and do something on his own and succeed at it. And to me, that was like the coolest moment in my life watching him win that kayak tournament. So life has been really good for all of us. I mean, we've had a lot of sponsor changes. The industry, the overall economics have really just kind of shifted things a little bit, but it's in all, it's all good. But watching him go win that kayak event has been, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, that whole deal kind of went down. I was coming back from Mille Lacs, just missed our, our Red Crest Championship, super bummed. And he was telling me he had 
ordered a kayak from Drew Gregory of Crescent Kayaks. We met him a couple years back. Great guy. And um, I was like, okay, he's giving him a good deal on it. He's like, yeah. So I got back on like a Tuesday. We met him on a Wednesday afternoon. He gets the kayak. And he, when he gets the kayak, he goes, oh, dad, I signed up for the kayak tournament Saturday. I'm like, Jackson, have you ever been in a kayak? <laughs> he's like, no. I said, have you ever caught a fish? In a I mean, obviously, you've never caught a fish in a kayak. <laughs> so Thursday after school. And, and at the same time, I'm also coaching peewee football for my youngest son so i i take him out for a couple hours top him off let him kayak around i pick him up on thursday evening after he gets two hours of practice with it Did you catch anything no but i learned how to paddle i'm like oh, okay great you're gonna <laughs> fish against the best kayakers in the nation <laughs> all right and um of course friday night's fair he's got his girlfriend so they're not using the practice after school on friday saturday i drop more he wants to go and I kind of sat there and watched him a little bit, but then I had to go coach a football game. He didn't catch anything. And I could tell I was, from where I could see him, I could tell I was just making him nervous. So I left, and they have a little app that you can follow. And so by the time I got home, he's leading the event. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is the weirdest thing. I said, first of all, he probably logged in the same fish five times. Well, like, is there a because, glitch in the system or something, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what, I, that's what I'm thinking, right? I mean, I'm only 25 minutes away. Well, I guess they came up schooling next to him, and, and he got to catch them. Well, I looked at the, um, they were all different measurements, so they were obviously different fish, but it was like, oh my gosh, he's doing this. And so at the end of the day, he finished third and he said he caught 17 keepers that day. Wow. And, um, you know, we had to put together a little cookout for all the guys, the kayakers and stuff, because we've known some of them from way back in the day. And uh, everyone was just so nice and just generous with Jack and it was fun. And then, uh, yeah, the next day he went and won the thing and um, he knows how to fish. He knows how to bass fish. He's won there he is. He's won tournaments before. I mean, he's done youth leagues and stuff like that. But to be able to pick up kayaking and then to fish under that different format and to put it all together is still unbelievable. So, yeah, that, yeah. that is freaking yeah. amazing. I, I can and, see your smile, even though I can't see you right now. I can oh, just feel, I can oh, feel I it, man, how, how it. proud and excited and just the euphoria of watching your son do something so cool like that and, and doing it on his own, more or less, you know, just you know, take, the whole thing the was, reins. I was just going to be stoked if he just caught a fish. You know what I mean? And then, and then let alone get a check and then to ultimately win the deal. And to answer your question, I don't think he spent a dime of it. Because <laughs> I'm feeling it on my checkbook still. <laughs> That's great. He's, he's pretty wise. I, I I mean, I don't know what I would do at his age with that kind of money. I think I worked from 15 all the way to 18 and maybe saved three grand. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah, That's pretty cool awesome. That he's got that freedom and the discipline not to just go spend it everywhere. But he probably learns that from his dad and his mom coming from, you know, the angling community and, and understanding, like you talked about in the opening, you know, the ups and downs of sponsorship and, and sometimes uncertainty of making the red crest or catching them or, or struggling a season. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of, lot of play in this whole thing, but uh, man, that was really cool to uh, see that. It, that was last fall, obviously, but uh, still it's a feeling that, that you'll never forget that you had there. That, that was super cool for you and Julie and uh, probably oh, yeah. was, Avery was probably excited for it too. Avery was so pumped for him. <laughs> It's That's funny because Avery's like the, the athlete in the in the family, so he he excels in sports. And Jackson's a fisherman, so it's perfect. I got it's well balanced. I love it. Man, well, Fred, I gotta say, you know, we're talking about like I mentioned, a little bit different subject today. You know, I always follow you on social media. You got a great platform there, and it seems like you know you catch fish all winter near your home there at uh, Dardanelle on the Arkansas River there in 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 Arkansas in shallow water, doing some shallow water wintertime fishing. Man, is that just a conception I'm seeing through social media, or do you feel like you've got a knack for continuing to find shallow water fish in these winter months? You know, a lot of it is also the territory. I mean, 
a lot of these Ozark lakes and then the rivers around here, like Lake Darnell, the Arkansas River, fish will stay relatively shallow. Now, there's going to be the cleaner, clearer water lakes where the fish will go deeper. But if you still got some clarity at all, those areas obviously are going to be a little bit better than others. But the rocks, it seems like anywhere that there's some kind of a hard, rocky, whether it's, you know, a steep bluff wall or like just gravel chunk rock or channel swing, they fluctuate weather a little bit better because they can retain heat a little bit longer or they can gather heat faster. And so I, I feel like those are the areas that I really target. And the fish stay shallow. They stay relatively shallow. The bait fish stay pretty shallow. And again, there's just not that much deep water nearby. So it's just a great area. You know, those kind of areas where they hold, you can catch fish. Yeah, you know, you speak of the rocks and the heat, and that's certainly something that I've, in my experience, have, have seen a lot kind of in the, you know, the table rock bull shoals. I'm curious to know, yeah. though, Fred, with you, how shallow is kind of your comfort zone to have good populations of bass, you know, when targeting wintertime fish? And and then I, I guess bookend that with what is the key cover or elements of cover you're looking for to find these bass? Yeah, so keep in mind, I'm I'm thinking Lake Darnell just because that's I'm I'm staring at it right now from the truck window, <laughs> and um, I'm actually seeing some activity, which I'm like, man, I need to get out and do a little fishing. Um, really, <laughs> the depth for me here is that four to six foot of water. Maybe that sounds deep, but it's not. That's that that is really shallow for most wintertime applications. But on the river, I mean, you know, the deepest areas, I mean, other than like strip pits that get down like 40, 50 foot, those are kind of unique spots. But as far as the river in general, I mean, you're going to be the middle of the channel. You might be in like 22 foot. And for the most part, four to six foot is kind of deep. So, you know, anywhere that I've got that little bit of depth, you know, relatively close to the bank, because unless you're just constantly looking at your electronics and using live scope and you're just isolated fish, you still want to be thrown to the bank. We get a lot of rain this time of the year, and when things kind of flood out a little bit, you know, you just you just want to always be able to get to the bank with your casting. But the big key for me is, again, rock, whether it's you – know, I'll tell you one of my biggest secrets here. It's not so much rock. It's roadbed. It's a hard spot that holds the fish. And um, it's because right now, here we are, it's it's early February, and things are starting to uh, to heat up. The fish are staging on these little spots. And then it's those flats, those, those shallow flats. Of, and maybe a little itty bitty drain leading into it, but it's a big flat with, you know, some kind of maybe lily pad stems or um, isolated grass clumps where you just see a little bit of growth where you knew it was heavily grown the year before. Um, those are going to be the areas where the fish are going to spawn. So I'm just trying to find those areas where I can intercept them as they move up in a wave. And then the key, the ultimate key is to watch your gauge, your temperature gauge. The water temperature will start around 49 degrees, and then maybe as the day progresses, it might get 51, 52, and then the magic number around here is 53. Fish really start getting aggressive. And now, granted, these are a northern strain bass. They, they're not as temperamental as your Florida bass. So these river fish will start activating a way sooner than, than maybe your Florida bass. So that 52, 53, I'm usually planted up on, a, on an edge of a roadbed where there's a flat, and I know they're going to come because they're going to stage right there. And I'll have my power poles dropped. And I'll just start making casts, usually with a swim bait, my Boom Boom swim bait, weedless. And um, when it turns on, I mean, you can catch 50 bass, no joke, without ever moving the boat. It's one of the neatest experiences. So I love it when that happens. Up until then, it's usually throwing a jerk bait, kind of picking them off, like I said, with the with the live scope, or just kind of working the edges of the hard spots or the, or the rocks leading right. into the area. Fred, when I visualize this, you know, I see uh, Dardanelle. Like you mentioned, you're sitting there on the shores of the of the bank right now, yeah. and, you, and you, they have yeah. long, long riprap areas, you know, lo lots of yep. riprap. Uh, you talk about the road beds. Then I start thinking yep. about other fisheries that are similar to Dardanelle. Like if, if uh, yeah. you know, any kind of shallow river-oriented 
uh, fishery, let's say like Ross Barnett. Kind Ross of has Barnett's that. a perfect example. Yep, that, that's kind of got that glimpse. Obviously, all the way down the Arkansas River. You've got all the way up the Arkansas River, you know, up through Broken Arrow and, and, and up through the, those parts of Oklahoma there at Kerr Lake and, and those sections of the Arkansas River. Then I start throwing in other fisheries that, that are real similar, that are all across the country, or just rivers that, that are similar uh, across the country. Maybe that aren't a lot of tournaments that happen, but obviously a lot of people enjoy fishing, especially, you know, getting an opportunity to fish during, you know, these colder months. What's mm-hmm. a key element that you'll find in a hundred yard stretch of riprap that you might be looking for? And how do you find those elements that, that a fish will, will set up on or stage on or, or move into to wait for those bait fish to pass by and taking it to the next step? Cause you mentioned road beds, right? But there's obviously something that you're doing to make it successful when you're fishing some of these road beds. So what are some of those key elements within the, the cover that you're looking for that you have success on? Well, a lot of it's just like maybe the little odd, point that might be built into that riprap you know maybe a rock that then sticks out a little bit further if you're just going down riprap but the biggest thing is out of the current you know they're wanting the water to warm up current's going to kind of keep that water cool so they're really just trying to stage in those areas that are out of the current i try to avoid it in the winter i avoid current at all costs i mean that's something i look forward to in the summertime and even in the fall so i'm looking for basically the areas that are broken by the cover or the current broken by the wind the sunny side generally, you know, that heats up quickest. So that'd be the because northeast side in the wintertime, right? Northeast side, yep, yeah. correct. And uh, the key element is water temperature. Where's the water going to heat up the quickest? And, um, I mean, you could be on the shady side of a deal and, and waste two hours in the morning when you could be over on the sunny, you know what I mean? So I feel like the whole key is just making sure you're getting to the area that warms up the quickest. And a lot of times if, if you get a lot of rain or you get, you know, that water comes in cool, you need to find an, an area that positions the opposite direction of the current. So you're basically going, like if I was going up the river, I like to start mostly lower lake. Uh, there are some key spots up the lake, but you have to find an area that goes the opposite flow of the rain water because that's going to be your back areas where the water's going to stay a little cleaner. It's not going to get all that, you know, the debris and all the cool water coming in. Uh, no, those are the areas that really take off first. On that, the, the current seems like, you know, in, in the clarity – Seems like A1 and A2 along with your primary of water temperature, but really the clarity and current is what kind of sets that up for you. It seems like like staying off of the main, kind of getting just behind the main river where there's that pushback of clarity and less current. Does that kind of put for that sure. in? Yeah, the key is backwater. I mean, that is the key is the backwater pockets. It's going to be just out of the current. Now, there are key staging areas that are very close to those where the current kind of pushes in and out because still it's a river system. They have locks and dams. There's a lot of flow that goes back and forth and a little flow from that, you know, just like the natural lake flow of the locks and stuff will trigger fish all winter long, but those fish are still going to be back out of it for the most part. Interesting. Yeah. And and it's weird because you'll go out one day and the water will be up. I got a dock and if the water's touching the level of that dock, I know I can get into these shallow flat. If -hmm. the water's down a, you know, six, eight inches, it's going to be hard. But those fish, as that water temperature gets, starts coming up, 52, 53, I'm going to almost have my boat where it's touching the bottom, and I'm going to be throwing that swim bait as far back into that shallow water because that, that water will heat up relatively fast. And your fish finder may not pick up the, the temperature in that super skinny water because, for one, <laughs> it's probably 
sunk in the mud because it's hitting the bottom. <laughs> right. um, so you're not really getting a good reading, but that water will heat up quick. And it's, it's so fast how quick those fish will move in that water temperature as it gets to that mid-50s. What's fun about throwing a swim bait or a swim jig or a bladed jig or whatever it is or a spinner bait is you'll watch them chase it, and you can't reel your bait fast enough. Those fish get so aggressive on these bodies of waters. In every lake that you mentioned, Ross Barnett, Arkansas River, Muskogee, Three Forks, all those bodies of water all fish the exact same. And that is like my key time to fish. And you got to spend some time. you got to find them. I can give you the, the basis what to look for, but you still got to know those little angles and little casts where they really can trigger on your bait. And, and that just comes with a little bit of experience. One more question before we head to a quick break on the warming days or cooling days. You talk about, you know, those fish kind of moving into some of the shallower water, especially when you can access these backwaters, meaning your, your boat can access it, plus the fish access it more easily. How much movement will you see based on a warming trend or, or a cooling trend this time of year? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's everything. I mean, I, I watch it and, and really you want sunshine, too. You've got a lot of things. you got the moon phase, obviously. That, that, that'll definitely gravitate the fish up there. But the warming trends, if I get three or four days of that mid-60s, dude, I will probably be on the water every day <laughs> because I know when they come in, it's the funnest time to fish. And, and the biggest thing, too, is if you get a warm day and then you get an overcast night, it, like, insulates all night. So it does, the water temperature doesn't drop as much overnight. And so then those overcast days, it just takes those sunny, hot days to warm it up. Those overcast days will hold those fish up there. It's just a neat deal. You know, as long as it's not like a, like a super cold front or something like that. But I've had some of the best days after about three or four days of sunshine, and the next day is a rainy day. Mm. And I'm out there in my rain suit just busting them on my swim bait. Because, you know, the rain kind of, I mean, the overcast gets them to really roam around a little bit more. You know, when it's sunny, they're going to really relate to the structure tight. So they move in little little windows where it's overcast they'll just kind of cruise all day awesome all right well we're going to take a break but after the the break we are going to talk more about lures how you like to approach these areas what you find to be most effective and uh you know kind of what those those different baits are brands and, and choice and why you make those choices so fred rambanis bringing the knowledge here to bass edge radio with some shallow water wintertime fishing we're going to take a quick recess power pull down stay tuned we'll be right back after this message patented in 2000 perfected over years of testing and real world punishment the power pole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool swift power pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat virtually silent power pole won't spook wary fish secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to eight feet of water engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge presented in part by Bass Pro Shops. Return with MLF Bass Pro Tour angler Fred Rambanis in this episode's featured angler spotlight. Bass Pro Shops, keep in mind, we all live downstream. Fred, in the first half of the interview, we discussed a lot about the types of targets, uh, strategy of fishing, you know, kind of shallow in the winter. What seems to be the the lures? You know, I, I know you you spoke a lot about the uh, boom boom swim bait. In addition to that, that are most productive for you, and why do you feel they they really give you kind of that advantage over another choice or brand? So uh, there's actually quite a few baits that I like to do because there's a transition that kind of goes through this warming trend because it's not going to automatically get to 52, right? So it'll probably start in the mid 40s, and that's when I like to throw the I'm a Flit 120. It's probably my favorite jerk bait. 
What's nice about that jerk bait, I throw it on 10 pounds straight fluorocarbon, is it darts side to side a lot, like a soft fluke style uh, bait. It, it really darts and it suspends incredible. And um, it gets down in that four to six foot. So I like to really kind of twitch it real lightly, not not real hard jerks, but just nice and soft. And um, because I'm fishing shallower water than most, you don't want to rip it down into the bottom, but you want to get it going at a nice pace and then mm-hmm. let it sit there forever. So, I mean, and being patient with letting it sit there, There's sometimes four seconds in between. So two or three twitches, let it sit there. And those fish, you can watch them. You can, like I was saying earlier, this is when I'm in that four to six foot zone staging while the water's in the forties. And, uh, and I'm watching that. The other bait I like to throw a lot is, uh, we came out with this bait a few years ago with Ima and it's called suspending vibe. And now I can throw up towards that skinnier water, that two foot of water where those fish are going to be moving. And that's when that water gets closer. So like that 45 now starts to get to 47, 48. I like to think that they're going to start moving a little bit closer to that drop line where a jerkbait would just dig into the bottom. So you can reel that out there. And I just sweep my rod to the side. I fish it mostly on monofilament and heavier mono, like 15 mm. to 17 pound, because it really floats that bait up nice. And I change the hooks out. I use size four Hayabusa. And really, they got that NRD coating because a lot of times in that shallow water, even in the winter, the grass hasn't really grown. So it's still got some of that nasty algae. And those hooks will just kind of let it glide off there. Like it, it just slides off. It doesn't get hung up in that stuff. That's what's nice about the NRD coating. It just seems like it wicks away that nasty grass, but they're so dang sharp that all a fish has to do is kiss it. You hook them. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's like, it's, it's the best hook. I mean, I, I'm not just saying that, you know, but they are, they're amazing. So anyway, I put that on the, and it makes that bait suspend very nice. So yes, two size four of the round bend NRD coating, high boost of hooks. And then, uh, you know, sometimes I'll pick up a bladed jig, but the thing about a bladed jig, and I like a bladed jig, but that's what everybody else is throwing, right? Yeah. So that's where I like to pick up my swim bait. And again, I'm throwing that on a 7-aught Hayabusa 958. It's a four-and-a-half-inch swim bait, the Boom Boom Wee List. And um, if we get a lot of rain, the water's dirty, I go with my darker colors. We came out with a black and blue. We've got a June bug. We've got a green pumpkin back with a chartreuse side, watermelon belly. We call it Avery Day. And that's a good as that water even starts cleaning up a little bit. And then I go to my natural colors in the clear water. Your ghost minnow, your sexy minnow. We've got some new colors. We've got a money color, which is like pearly white with some pink flake. And it. it's pretty nice. But yeah, so any of those natural colors in the water starts cleaning up. Fred, all the lures you mentioned have generally tight wobble. I, I throw your swim bait quite a bit. It has a very yep. tight wobble. And, and a lot of other swim baits, you get a lot of movement. Even even you talked about the flit, how it, how it darts side to side, but the short yeah. twitches really kind of help keep that, you know, kind of short and, and direct, you know, like the lipless uh, crankbait you mentioned, uh, you yep. know, like the vibrating jig, your swim bait. Why do you feel like that, you know, tight wobble is so key during you know kind of the cooler month time of year or is that just something that you like to experiment with different wide wobbles as well this time of year well you know there's there's certain lakes like you get up north maybe the wider wobble works better on some of those you know crankbaits and stuff like that i do know that like around here just that tight wall i think i I don't know It, it just works i just tell you it just works i mean this time of the year the tighter the vibration the more they key in on it and i've seen that with flat sided crankbait you want the ones that are really, really tight. The mm-hmm. wide wobbling ones work good in those Ozark lakes. You know, everyone knows about the wiggle ward or the rock wall crawlers. You know, okay. that style of bait or even our pin jack 200. That's when those baits work good in the same water temperature. But for whatever it is, 
on the rivers and these these shallower bodies of water, the tighter, the better. And um, you nailed it on the dot when you said that. You know, that's why guys are throwing the bladed jig because it's, it's got that tight, you know, wobble to it. But I just like to do something a little bit different. Um, and you can feel my swim bait when you're reeling it in. It's fun because I'll see guys out there and they're like, what are you throwing? What are you throwing? There's nothing better than going over to their boat, rigging them up at one of my swim baits and letting them fish it and watch them catch fish. And then they're like, where do I get them? And I send them to the retailer <laughs> to go buy them. You know, it's like, it's the coolest feeling because then, you know, until I go there in a tournament and they're sitting on my spot. But other than that, <laughs> it's awesome. All right, Fred. Well, hey, I, speaking about tournaments, man, you you are rocking a ton of events this year. You know, from my understanding, you're competing, obviously, on the premier series of the MLF, the Bass Pro Tour. But you're also taking on the MLF Invitationals. What's got you running the full gamut of professional events on the road this year? Gosh, you know, the last couple of years, we've had a lot of outside life kind of take over. You know, my mom, uh, we moved her from California to Arkansas, and that was a big deal we did in the middle of the season two years ago. And then last year, uh, my wife had back surgery. Um, so we moved my mom two years ago, then my, my wife's back surgery, and it was kind of holding me back from doing more events. And as my kids are getting older, I don't want to um, – I, I hate being gone from my kids, but I also want to take the opportunity while I'm still young enough to be able to fish them all. So this is the perfect season to do it. I mean, it, events line up great. I love – the locations they kind of align themselves well with the bass pro tour so doing the invitationals they just they fit in schedule nice and uh this will be the first year julie and the boys will be able to be with me during the summer because she'll be able to travel so it's going to be great i just think you know if i can do it why not <laughs> absolutely and talking about the scheduling that we're, we're grabbing you here just before the lake okeechobee you know mlf invitational event and then you'll be off to kind of begin the the bass pro tour season on Kissimmee immediately following that what do you anticipate kind of as you i guess restart if you will i guess that's a that's a good term you know the the five fish era again you know, guys get all upset that they keep doing changes. But to me, it's like it's like starting all over again. I mean, it's a fresh start, obviously, yeah. in the new year. But it, but there's just something about, like, going into a season with a new game. And uh, I don't know. I like it. I'm, I'm excited. I just, you know, I love bass fishing. Whether it's five fish or numbers, I'm going to do it regardless. I do feel that for me personally, I got more confidence maybe than the other guys when it comes to throwing a big glide bait or throwing, you know, something like a big swim bait or mm-hmm throwing a frog a little bit longer um, when it may not be getting the numbers of bites that the guys are doing with the spinning rod and the, and the finesse gear, which I can do that as well. So I'm not saying that I don't like doing it. I just can't wait to be able to know that I can go hunt down a big one when I need to hunt down a big one. <laughs> yeah. If that means, you know, cause I know one of the tournaments, I actually sat on a 12 pound bass at, at uh, Chickamauga and I was sitting sixth place in the knockout round. I caught the female, took me, I don't know, 40 minutes to catch the, I mean, I cut the male and it was a six four. Oh and my God. By the time I caught that one, I went from sixth place when I found it. I fell down to like fifteenth, and I'm only moved back up to eighth by the time I caught a six four. So now <laughs> I'm sitting on this other one, and now I've already fallen back down to like twentieth. So I, I had to leave that fish, and gosh, I wish I would have caught it. You know, looking back on it, but it was one of those things. It was like it's hard to find a big one like that, and then to feel the pressure of having to keep catching fish while you're sitting there. You don't want to give that fish up, but yeah, standard you know, I don't know who wants to leave that thing. right? <laughs> Dude, I, it actually ruined me on that tournament. Cause I was doing really good. I mean, I was just fishing and I had already caught two, five and a half. So I was like, and I was on a roll just catching fish. So then I caught that six and I fell because it took me so long to catch it because I saw it. So <laughs> now I, if I see some big ones, I can fish for them knowing that, that one's really going to add up. I mean, we've all grown up on five fish. I think the industry understands five fish. 
I think it's better for the business side of it. I think for the new fans into the sport that don't know anything about fishing, maybe the numbers might be better just because they know how to add points as far as like any score of any, you know, anything you watch on TV, they you know, you can just add up numbers that way. But for us to relate, you know, they, they may not understand how a cooling situation could help a guy when he needs a four pound, you know, he might be back or whatever, he catches a two pounder doesn't help him at all. They may not understand all that where we can go and, calculating our heads oh did i need a four pounder what am i going to do how am i going to catch a four pounder you know to make that difference it's going to be interesting especially on yeah. a live format we've never done that before it's going to be fun to watch you know in our previous segment we, we uh talked to ken duke he's got a new uh the big bass podcast and uh yeah who doesn't like to talk about big bass so it's going to be fun oh, to yeah. see, see some of these uh different opportunities as you mentioned come up as the mlf bass pro tour year progresses so it's going to be cool fred you're known to get on a bite of better than average bass We've watched you throughout your career do that. And uh, when it happens, you usually roll right into championship day. So if you could dial in for the listeners, what is a commonality of a pattern or locations that you typically find a group or kind of a consistently better than average bass? I think the biggest thing is going against the grain. I think my whole career has been based off going against the grain for the most part. You know, you find out what the typical patterns are in a lake you can do your research and this and that and usually those are you know what win tournaments but if you can find like the frog bite when there's not really a frog bite going on those fish haven't been messed with it so that the bigger fish will probably bite it i mean it's just little things like that i think have always helped me just key in on a bigger fish as a matter of fact we had that black bass world championship here um i don't know if you you saw lake murray Yeah. yeah and um and that lake's just been good to me. I can't explain why. I, I really don't know. You that, caught a big with Watson one day, right? <laughs> yeah, I caught the big fish the entire event. And it was, believe it or not, it was on a drop shot. So guys were just assuming you had to be up the river. I think they thought, too, that I probably was catching them up the river on a frog <laughs> when I was down. Like The first day of practice, the wind was blowing really, really hard. And I went ahead and fought through the wind and ran down lake instead of trying to stay protected, trying to figure things out. I went down and I was going to work my way up and immediately started finding some fish. But by doing that, really left a lot of that water wide open. So there wasn't a whole lot of pressure down there. I don't know. I just, it seems like uh, if I see boats in an area, I, I go the other direction. And maybe just I'm fishing less pressured fish might be why. Something to think about for the listeners, no doubt. And if anybody wants to know why somebody thought that Fred was up the river throwing a frog at Lake Murray, got to go back <laughs> into the archives of bass fishing. Fred won $250,000 on that lake throwing a frog back in the day. So uh, go check out an old bass master. What was it a major or a memorial? I forget which one it was, but it was a special event, right, Fred? Yeah, actually that was a, that was at high rock. Uh, but yeah, no, no, oh, I won a hundred thousand. I did win it up at the Saluda River. Um, yeah, no, that was a Bassmaster Elite Series the very next year. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Yeah. All right, well, hey, <laughs> so, we're going to move on quickly to a, a quick listener question. Somebody threw this out to me here uh, in Del Rio, my hometown, Bucky Simmons, a friend of mine. We were talking about, you know, getting ready to interview and talking about current and rivers. And, and so he had this question. How does current and rivers affect fish during the colder months, and where should I look to find the bigger bass, in or out of the current? We kind of touched on it a little bit, but 
Fred, if you could tell us why you feel like fish do what they do this time of year from a current relationship. I just, I just feel like even current bass that are notorious for just living in the current, I still feel when that water temperature drops, their metabolism is still going to drop a little bit, and they don't want to burn that energy staying in the current. So I feel like you need to find that backwater. You need to find an area that goes the opposite direction of the current, that when you, know, you get these storms and, or cold fronts or rains or whatever comes through these rivers, just those back pockets. I mean, for us, we have uh, an area that's full of these strip pits uh, in the Illinois Bayou part. And in the wintertime, it's notorious. I mean, it gets a lot of boat traffic, but the bass live in there. And it's stagnant for the most part. It'll generate just a tiny bit of current once they're pulling from the locks and dams. And that will trigger them to, to feed a little bit. But the bait fish kind of suspend up high. And the fish just kind of just sit there. And you can take a little hair jig. You know, you can fish like you would in a regular lake on isolated big fish. And you can just kind of feather it over the top of them. And you got to get it right in the strike zone and they'll grab it. But um, I would start keying in on areas that are not in the current in the wintertime, especially when that water temperature is below 50 degrees. When do you feel like they'll start moving? Do, you, do they wait until totally after the spawn, until they start, you know, kind of getting in these current-oriented areas when, when the water temperature moves up and they're done with their reproductive business? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think you nailed on the dot. I mean, once they're done with the spawn and stuff, then they kind of go refresh themselves back in the current a little bit and they start feeding again. And yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the deal right there. And then they stay in that current and that's where they thrive. The water temperature is back to, a, a you know, obviously at that point, it's comfortable for them. That's where they, they like to be. So I feel like they heal quicker. I feel like, you know, like on some of the lakes, you have that post-spawn funk. I feel like current lakes, you don't get that funk as long, as long as you get back into that current. I think they, they recover quicker because of it. Very interesting. Great insight there. And uh, certainly, Bucky, we appreciate you sending in the listener question presented by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Uh, we need one more thing for you, and that is just to walk over to Kurt's house and tell him he owes you a Nitro <laughs> boat. <laughs> no, no, seriously, just log on to BassEdge.com, click on the Claim Your Prize tab, fill out the information, and let us know that you heard Fred answer your question right here on Episode 394, and we will get out the uh, Bass Edge gift. A reminder to all Bass Edge listeners, stop by the house or send in the questions to the show via our website, BassEdge.com, or you can comment on the Facebook and Instagram posts that we we shoot out there to uh, have a chance to get your question answered by a pro angler like Fred Urbanis or someone in a future episode. And you can win a prize pack from us right here at Bass Edge Radio. Well, Fred, as always, you know, there's there's a lot of history between yourself and uh, Kurt, myself, and, and Bass Edge. But yeah. it's, it's always a fun time, and, and we really appreciate you carving out time to be on the episode. Any thoughts you want to throw out to Bass Edge Nation, even though it's been a little bit of time, I guess, since the last time we had you on? Yeah, no, I, hey, I just appreciate you guys having me on, Aaron. Kurt, man, it's, it's been great. I think, the, you know, the biggest thing is just get the kids out fishing it's gonna be a great year for the sport and uh it's growing so fast i'm blessed to be a part of such an awesome uh sport and business yeah it's absolutely amazing fred as always great catching up best of luck with you on the mlf tournament season we'll be watching and everyone else stay tuned aaron and i will return with the episode's final thoughts after this message you know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology megaware keel guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour providing the longest lasting most dependable keel protection for your boat guaranteed for life 
developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. The PowerPool Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it. Power how you need it. Power when you need it. Kurt, I don't know. I think we either need to future shows, uh, create <laughs> T-shirts or something. Uh, you're, you're going to start everything off with Once Upon a Time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I think, that, you know, out of respect for Ken, we're going to open the next podcast with Once Upon a Time. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Uh, okay. Man, a lot of fun today. Uh, obviously, with the Big Bass Podcast, talking Ken Duke. And how about those shallow water wintertime techniques Fred exposed on today's program? Yeah, I love it. And I loved how he broke down, uh, you know, the tight wobble on, on the majority of his baits, but then he kind of branched out into certain lakes and kind of the certain territories that go after those wiggle wart, the rock crawlers, those kinds of things. So uh, very interesting when you start looking at water temperatures and, and the differences that he kind of looks at on based upon bait choices, but also the geographic location. Yeah, you know, when he was talking about that, I started thinking he also mentioned the pin jack from IMA. And a lot of those wide wobbling crankbaits, you're making extreme contact to get bit. And I feel like when you use those wide wobblers, they deflect easier. When you're using the uh, tight wobblers, they would tend to get hung up more when you're making that much cover contact. In a lot of Fred's uh, discussion, you know, obviously with the shallow river systems and catching those shallow wintertime fish, you know, he was using some forward-facing sonar. He talked about jerk baiting, but also with the suspending lipless crankbait and uh, the swim bait, obviously those lures aren't making quite as much contact. So, uh, you know, having that type wobble maybe is more important in those functions where Whereas that wide wobble, as I said, when you're making contact, really helps that deflection and, and get that bite. So interesting concept there between those two pieces of the puzzle. For sure, for sure. Another great episode, episode 394 and more will be on the way as we break over into March. Warmer water, longer days. That means bigger bass, <laughs> more of them, more to yes. talk about, a lot more to talk about. But Kurt, for today, uh, this is all the time we have. want to give you an opportunity, anything to kind of bookend or close down our segment with. Man, I just want to continue to give a shout out to Bass Edge and and thank everybody for listening. Don't forget to send in those questions. Look for those social media posts that we make on Instagram and Facebook. You can simply comment there to uh, send in those listener questions or check out us at the uh, BassEdge.com website. Simply click the Ask the Pros tab and obviously get the full archive of Bass Edge podcast, 394 episodes worth. Yes, absolutely. You're going to see, I, th I think, Kurt, we're, we're calling 2023 the year of engagement, and you're going to see a lot of focus being placed kind of on that social media space and, and really uh, getting everyone connected, I guess I should say. So that falls on us, and certainly want to thank, like you said, all Bass Edge Nation for tuning us in and look forward to being with everybody once again on episode 395, March 1st. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. So long, everybody. 
Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Midway USA, Mercury Marine, Power Pole, and Transport Graphics.